part eight of a christmas miscellany twenty twenty by various this librivox recording is in the public domain part eight mcallister's christmas in mcallister and his double nineteen o five by arthur train one mcallister was out of sorts all the afternoon he had sat in the club window and watched the christmas shoppers hurrying by with their bundles he thanked god he had no brats to buy moo cows and bow wows for the very nonchalance of these victims of a fate that had given them families irritated him mcallister was a clubman pure and simple that is to say though neither simple nor pure he was a clubman and nothing more he had occupied the same seat by the same window during the greater part of his earthly existence and they were the same seat and window that his father had filled before him his select and exclusive circle called him chubby and his five-and-forty years of terrapin and cocktails had given him a graceful rotundity of person that did not belie the name they had also endowed him with a cheerful though somewhat florid countenance and a permanent sense of well-being as the afternoon wore on and the pedestrians became fewer mcallister sank deeper and deeper into gloom the club was deserted everybody had gone out of town to spend christmas with someone else and the winthrops on whom he had counted for a certainty had failed for some reason to invite him he had waited confidently until the last minute and now he was stranded alone it began to snow softly gently McAllister threw himself disconsolately into a leathern armchair by the smouldering logs on the six-foot hearth. A servant in livery entered, pulled down the shades, and after touching a button that threw a subdued radiance over the room, withdrew noiselessly. "'Come back here, Peter,' growled McAllister. "'Anybody in the club?' "'Only Mr. Tomlinson, sir.' McAllister swore under his breath. "'Yes, sir,' replied Peter.' McAllister shot a quick glance at him. I didn't say anything. You may go. This time Peter got almost to the door. Uh, Peter, ask Mr. Tomlinson if he will dine with me. Peter presently returned with the intelligence that Mr. Tomlinson would be delighted. Of course, grumbled McAllister to himself, no one ever knew Tomlinson to refuse anything. He ordered dinner and then took up an evening paper, in which an effort had been made to conceal the absence of news by summarizing the achievements of the past year staring headlines invited his notice to a year of progress what the tenement house commission has accomplished further need of prison reform he threw down the paper in disgust this reform made him sick tenements and prisons why were the papers always talking about tenements and prisons they were a great deal better than the people who lived in them deserved. He recalled Wilkins, his valet, who had stolen his black pearl scarf-pin. It increased his ill-humor. Hang Wilkins! The thief was probably out by this time and wearing the pin. It had been a matter of jest among his friends that the servant had looked not unlike his master. McAllister winced at the thought. "'Dinner is served,' said Peter." an hour and a half later tomlinson and mcallister having finished a sumptuous repast stared stupidly at each other across their liqueurs they were stuffed and bored tomlinson was a thin man who knew everything positively mcallister hated him he always felt when in his company like the woman who invariably answered her husband's remarks by tain't so it's just the opposite tomlinson was trying to make conversation by repeating assertively what he had read in the evening press now our prisons he announced authoritatively why it is outrageous the people are crowded in like cattle the food is loathsome it's a disgrace to a civilized city that was the last straw to mcallister look here he snapped back at tomlinson who shrank behind his cigar at the vehemence of the attack what do you know about it i tell you it's all rot it's all politics our tenements are all right and so are our prisons the law of supply and demand regulates the tenements 
and who pays for the prisons i'd like to know we pay for em and the scamps that rob us live in em for nothing the tombs is a great deal better than most second-class hotels on the continent i know i had a valet once that oh what's the use i'd be glad to spend christmas in no worse place reform stuff don't tell me he sank back purple in his face oh of course if you know tomlinson hesitated politely remembering that mcallister had signed for the dinner well i do know affirmed mcallister two noel 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 sang out the bells as mcallister left the club at twelve o'clock and started down the avenue noel noel hummed mcallister pretty old air he thought he had almost forgotten that it was christmas morning as he felt his way gingerly over the stone sidewalks the bells were ringing all around him first one chime and then another noel 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 they ceased leaving the melody floating on the moist night air the snow began to fall irregularly in patchy flakes then gradually turned to rain first a soft wet mist that dimmed the electric lights and shrouded the hotel windows then a fine sprinkle at last the chill rain of a winter's night mcallister turned up his coat collar and looked about for a cab it was too late he hurried hastily down the avenue soon a welcome sight met his eye a coupe a nighthawk crawling slowly down the block on the lookout no doubt for belated christmas revellers without superfluous introduction mcallister made a dive for the door shouted his address and jumped inside the driver but half aroused from his lethargy muttered something unintelligible and pulled in his horse at the same moment the dark figure of a man swiftly emerged from a side street ran up to the cab opened the door threw in a heavy object upon mcallister's feet and followed it with himself let her go he cried slamming the door the driver without hesitation lashed his horse and started at a furious gallop down the slippery avenue then for the first time the stranger perceived mcallister there was a muttered curse a gleam of steel as they flashed by a street lamp and the clubman felt the cold muzzle of a revolver against his cheek speak and i'll blow your head off the cab swayed and swerved in all directions and the driver retained his seat with difficulty mcallister clinging to the sides of the rocking vehicle expected every moment to be either shot or thrown out and killed don't move hissed his companion mcallister tried with difficulty not to move suddenly there came a shrill whistle followed by the clatter of hoofs a figure on horseback dashed by the driver endeavouring to rein in his now maddened beast lost his balance and pitched overboard there was a confusion of shouts a blue flash a loud report the horse sprang into the air and fell kicking upon the pavement the cab crashed upon its side amid a shower of glass the door parted company with its hinges and the stranger placing his heel on mcallister's stomach leaped quickly into the darkness a moment later having recovered a part of his scattered senses our hero thrusting himself through the shattered framework of the cab staggered to his feet he remembered dimly afterward having expected to create a mild sensation among the spectators by announcing in response to their polite inquiries as to his safety that he was quite uninjured instead however the glare of a policeman's lantern was turned upon his dishevelled countenance and a hoarse voice shouted throw up your hands he threw them up like the phoenix rising from its ashes mcallister emerged from the debris which surrounded him on either side of the cab he beheld a policeman with a levelled revolver a mounted officer stood sentinel beside the smoking body of the horse no tricks now continued the voice pull your feet out of that mess and keep your hands up slip on the nippers tom better go through him here they always manage to lose something going over mcallister wondered where over was before he could protest he was unceremoniously seated upon the body of the dead horse and the officers were going rapidly through his clothes 
thought so muttered tom as he drew out of mcallister's coat pocket a revolver and a jimmy just as well to unballast em at the start a black calico mask and a small bottle filled with a colourless liquid followed tom drew a quick breath so you're one of those are you he added with an oath the victim of this astonishing adventure had not yet spoken now he stammered look here what do you think i am this is all a mistake tom did not deign to reply the officer on horseback had dismounted and was poking among the pieces of cab what's this here he inquired as he dragged a large bundle covered with black cloth into the circle of light and untying a bit of cord poured its contents upon the pavement a glittering silver service rolled out upon the asphalt and reflected the glow of the lanterns gee look at all the swag cried tom i wonder where he melts it up faintly at first then nearer and nearer came the harsh clanging of the hurry-up wagon get up ordered tom punctuating his order with mild kicks then as the driver reined up the panting horses alongside the officer grabbed his prisoner by the coat collar and yanked him to his feet jump in he said roughly my god exclaimed our friend half aloud where are they going to take me to the tombs for christmas answered tom three mcallister hatless stumbled into the wagon and was thrust forcibly into a corner above the steady drum of the rain upon the waterproof cover he could hear the officers outside packing up the silverware and discussing their capture the hot dappened tin of the wagon lamps smelled abominably the heavy breathing of the horses together with the sickening odour of rubber and damp straw told him that this was no dream but a frightful reality he is a bad un came tom's voice in tones of caution you can see his lay is the gentleman's racket wait till he gets to the precinct and hear the steer he'll give the sergeant he's a wise un and don't you forget it as the wagon started the officer swung on to the steps behind mcallister crouching in the straw by the driver's seat tried to understand what had happened apart from a few bruises and a cut on his forehead he had escaped injury and while considerably shaken up was physically little the worse for his adventure his head however ached badly what he suffered from most was a new and strange sensation of helplessness it was as if he had stepped into another world in which he mcallister of the colophon club did not belong and the language of which he did not speak the ignominy of his position crushed him never again should this disgrace become known could he bring himself to enter the portals of the club to be the hero of an exciting adventure with a burglar in a runaway cab was one matter but to be arrested hailed to prison and locked up was quite another once before the proper authorities it would be simple enough to explain who and what he was but the question that troubled him was how to avoid publicity he remembered the bills in his pocket fortunately they were still there in spite of the handcuffs he wormed them out and surreptitiously held up the roll the guard started visibly and turning away his head allowed mcallister to thrust the wad into his hand can't i square this somehow whispered our hero hesitatingly the guard broke into a loud guffaw <laughs> get on to him he laughed he's at it already tom look at the dough he put out of his pants you're right about his lay he turned fiercely upon mcallister who dazed by this sudden turn of affairs once more retreated into his corner the three officers counted the money ostentatiously by the light of a lantern eighty plunks thought we was cheap didn't he remarked the guard scornfully no eighty plunks won't square this job for you it'll take nearer eight years no more monkey business now you've struck the wrong combine mcallister saw that he had been guilty of a terrible faux pas any explanation to these officers was clearly impossible with an official it would be different he had once met a police commissioner at dinner and remembered that he had seemed really almost like a gentleman the wagon drew up at a police station and presently mcallister found himself in a small room at one end of which 
iron bars ran from floor to ceiling a kerosene lamp cast a dim light over a weather-beaten desk behind which half asleep reclined an officer on night duty a single other chair and four large octagonal stone receptacles were the only remaining furniture the man behind the desk opened his eyes yawned and stared stupidly at the officers a clock directly overhead struck one with harsh vibrant clang what you got inquired the sergeant a second story man answered the guard he took to a cab exclaimed tom and him and his partner give us a fierce chase down the avenue o'halloran shot the horse and the cab was well knocked to hell the other fellow clawed out before we could nab him but we got this one all right hi there mccarthy shouted the sergeant to someone in the dim vast beyond come and open up he examined mcallister with a degree of interest quite a swell guy he commented them dress clothes must have been real pretty onct mcallister stood with soaked and rumpled hair hatless and collarless his coat torn and splashed and his shirt bosom bloody and covered with mud he wanted to cry for the first time in thirty-five years what's your name asked the sergeant the prisoner remained stiffly mute he would have suffered anything rather than disclose himself where do you live still no answer the sergeant gave vent to a grim laugh mamma he scribbled something in the blotter upon the desk before him then he raised his eyes and scrutinized mcallister's face suddenly he jumped to his feet well of all the luck he exclaimed do you know who you've caught it's fatty welch four how he had managed to live through the night that followed mcallister could never afterward understand locked in a cell alone to be sure but with no light he took off his dripping coat and threw himself on the wooden seat that served for a bed it was about six inches too short he lay there for a few moments then got wearily to his feet and began to pace up and down the narrow cell his legs and abdomen which had been the recipients of so much attention pained him severely the occupant of the next apartment awakened by our friend's arrival began to show irritation he ordered mcallister in no gentle language to abstain from exercise and go to sleep a woman farther down the corridor commenced to moan drearily to herself evidently sleep had made her forget her sorrow but now in the middle of the night it came back to her with redoubled force her groans racked mcallister's heart a stir ran all along the cells sounds of people tossing restlessly curses all the nameless noises of the jail mcallister fearful of bringing some new calamity upon his head sat down he had been shivering when he came in now he reeked with perspiration the air was fetid the only ventilation came through the gratings of the door and a huge stove just beyond his cell rendered the temperature almost unbearable he began to throw off his garments one by one again he drew his knees to his chest and tried to sleep but sleep was impossible never had mcallister in all his life known such wretchedness of body such abject physical suffering but his agony of mind was even more unbearable vague apprehension of infectious disease floating in the nauseous air or of possible pneumonia unnerved and tortured him stretched on the floor he fell at length into a coma of exhaustion in which he fancied that he was lying in a warm bath in the porcelain tub at home in the room beyond he could see fraser his valet laying out his pajamas and dressing-gown there was a delicious odour of that violet perfume he always used in a minute he would jump into bed then the valet suddenly came into the bathroom and began to pound his master on the back of the neck for some reason he did not resent this it seemed quite natural and proper he merely put up his hand to ward off the blows and found the keeper standing over him here's some breakfast remarked that official tom sent out and got it for you the city don't supply no aller carty mcallister vaguely rubbed his eyes the keeper shut and locked the door leaving behind him on the seat 
a tin mug of scalding hot coffee and a half loaf of sour bread McAllister arose and felt his clothes they were entirely dry but had shrunk perceptibly he was surprised to find that save for the dizziness in his head he felt not unlike himself moreover he was most abominably hungry he knelt down and smelt of the contents of the tin cup it did not smell like coffee at all it tasted like a combination of hot water tea and molasses he waited until it had cooled and drank it the bread was not so bad McAllister ate it all there was a good deal of noise in the cells now and outside he could hear many feet coming and going occasionally a draught of cold air would flow in and an officer would tramp down the corridor and remove one of the occupants of the row his watch showed that it was already eight o'clock he fumbled in his waistcoat pocket and found a very warped and wrinkled cigar his matchbox supplied the necessary light and chubby McAllister began to smoke his after-breakfast havana with appreciation no smoking in the cells came the rough voice of the keeper give us that cigar welch McAllister started to his feet hand it over now quick the clubman passed his cherished comforter through the bars and the keeper thrusting it still lighted into his own mouth grinned at him winked and walked away merry christmas fatty he remarked genially over his shoulder five half an hour later tom and his side partner came to the cell door they were flushed with victory already the morning papers contained accounts of the pursuit and startling arrest of fatty welch the well-known crook who was wanted in pennsylvania and elsewhere on various charges altogether the officers were in a very genial frame of mind come along fatty said tom helping the clubman into his bedraggled overcoat we're almost late for roll call as it is they left the cells and entered the station-house proper where several officers with their prisoners were waiting we'll take you down to headquarters and make sure we've got you right he continued i guess sheridan'll know you fast enough when he sees you come on boys he opened the door and led the way across the sidewalk to the patrol wagon which stood backed against the curb it was a glorious winter's day the sharp frosty air stimulated the clubman's jaded senses and gave him new hope he felt sure that at headquarters he would find some person to whom he could safely confide the secret of his identity in about ten minutes the wagon stopped in a narrow street before an inhospitable-looking building here's the old place remarked one of the load cheerfully looks just the same as ever mott street's not a mite different and to think i ain't been here in fifteen years all clambered out and each officer selecting his prisoners conveyed them down a flight of steps through a door several feet below the level of the sidewalk and into a small stuffy chamber full of men smoking and lounging most of these seemed to take a friendly interest in the clubman a few accosting him by his now familiar alias tom hurried McAllister along a dark corridor out into a cold courtyard across the cobblestones into another door through a hall lighted only by a dim gas-jet and then up a flight of winding stairs McAllister's head whirled then quickly they were at the top and in a huge high-ceilinged room crowded with men in civilian dress on one side upon a platform stood a nondescript row of prisoners at whom the thronging upon the floor gazed in silence above the heads of this file of motley individuals could be read the gold lettering upon the cabinet behind them rogues gallery on the other side of the room likewise upon a platform and behind a long desk stood two officers in uniform one of them an inspector engaged in studying with the keenest attention the human exhibition opposite get up there fatty before he realized what had happened McAllister was pushed upon the platform at the end of the line his appearance created a little wave of excitement which increased when his comrades of the wagon joined him it was a peculiar scene twenty men standing up for inspection some gazing unconcernedly before them 
some glaring defiantly at their observers and others grinning recognition at familiar faces McAllister grew cold with fright several of the detectives pointed at him and nodded out of the silence the inspector's voice came with the shock of thunder hey there you sanders hold up your hand a short man near the head of the line lifted his arm take off your hat the prisoner removed his headgear with his other hand the inspector raised his voice and addressed the crowd of detectives who turned with one accord to examine the subject of his discourse that's biff sanders con man and all-around thief served two terms up the river for grand larceny last time an eight-year bit that was nine years ago take a good look at him i want you to remember his face put your hat on sanders resumed his original position his face expressing the most complete indifference a slight good-looking young man now joined the inspector and directed his attention to the prisoner next the clubman the same being who had remarked upon the familiar appearance of mott street hold up your hand ordered the inspector here muggins aren't you haven't been here in fifteen years have you the man smiled you're right inspector he said the last time was in eighty nine that's muggins a burglar and sneak served four terms here and then got settled for life in louisville for murder pardoned after he'd served four years look at him thus the curious proceeding continued each man in the line being inspected recognized and his record and character described by the inspector through the assembled bureau of detectives no other voice was heard save the harsh tones of some prisoner in reply then the inspector looked at McAllister welch hold up your hand McAllister shuddered if he refused he knew not what might happen to him he had heard of the horrors of the third degree and associated it with starvation the rack and all kinds of brutality they might set upon him in a body he might be mobbed beaten strangled and yet if he obeyed would it not be a public admission that he was the mysterious and elusive welch would it not bind the chains more firmly about him and render explanation all the more difficult do you hear hold up your hand and be quick about it his hand went up of its own accord the inspector cleared his throat and rapped upon the railing take a good look at this man he's fatty welch one of the cleverest thieves in the country does a little of everything began as a valet to a clubman in this city he got settled for stealing a valuable pin about three years ago and served a short term up the river since then he's been all over his game is to secure employment in fashionable houses as butler or servant and then get away with the jewelry he's wanted for a big job down in pennsylvania take a good look at him when he gets out we don't want him around these parts i like you precinct men to remember him the detectives crowded near to get a close view of the interesting criminal one or two of them made notes in memorandum books the slender man had a hasty conference with the inspector the officer who has welsh take him up to the gallery and then bring him down to the record room directed the inspector get down fatty commanded tom McAllister, stupefied with horror embarrassment and apprehension of the possibilities in store for him stepped down and followed like a somnambulist as they made their way to the elevator he could hear the strident voice of the inspector beginning again this is pat hogan otherwise known as patty the sneak and his side partner jim hawkins who goes under the name of james hawkinson his pals call him supple jim two of the cleverest sneaks in the country they branch out into strong arm work occasionally the elevator began to ascend you seem kinder down commented tom i suppose you expect to get settled for quite a bit down to philadelphia huh well don't talk unless you feel like it here we are they got out upon an upper floor and crossed the hall on their left a matron was arranging rows of tiny chairs in a small schoolroom or nursery at any other time the lost children's room might have aroused a flicker of interest in McAllister, but he felt none whatever in it now tom opened a door and pushed the clubman gently into a small low-ceilinged chamber 
charts and diagrams of the human cranium hung on one wall while a score of painted eyes each of a different color and each bearing a technical appellation and a number stared from the other upon a small square platform about eight inches in height stood a half-clad italian congealed with terror and expecting momentarily to receive a shock of electricity the slender young man was rapidly measuring his hands and feet and calling out the various dimensions to an assistant who recorded them upon a card this accomplished he ordered his victim down from the block seated him unceremoniously in a chair and with a pair of shining instruments gauged the depth of his skull from front to rear its width between the cheekbones and the length of the ears describing all the while the other features in brief terms to his associate now off with you he ejaculated here lug this greaser in and mug him the officer in the case hailed the italian shrieking into another room ah fatty remarked the slender man i trust you won't object to these little formalities take off that left shoe if you please mcallister's soul had shriveled within him his powers of thought had been annihilated mechanically he removed the shoe in question and placed his foot upon the block the young man quickly measured it now get up there and rest your hand on the board mcallister observed that the table bore the painted outline of a human hand he did as he was told unquestioningly the other measured his forefinger and the length of his forearm all right now sit down and let me tickle your head for a moment the operator took the silver calipers which had just been used upon the italian and ran them thoughtfully forward and back above the clubman's organs of hearing by george you've got a big head remarked the measurer prominent roman nose number four eyes thank you just step into the next room will you and be mugged mcallister drew on his shoe and followed tom into the adjoining chamber of horrors no tricks now commented the officer in charge of the instrument snap went the camera turn sideways snap that's all the clubman staggered to his feet he entirely failed to appreciate the extent of the indignity which had been practised upon him it was hours before he realized that he had actually been measured and photographed as a criminal and that to his dying hour and beyond these insignia of his shame would remain locked in the custody of the police where now he asked time to go over to court answered tom the wagon'll wait for us but first we'll drop in on sheridan record-room man you know isn't there some way i can see the commissioner inquired mcallister tom burst into a roar of laughter you have got a gall he commented thumping his prisoner good-naturedly in the middle of the back the commissioner oh, oh, oh that's a good one i guess we'll have to make it the warden come on now and quit your joshin once more they entered the main room where the detectives were congregated the inspector was still at it there had been a big hall the night before he intended running all the crooks out of town by new year's day tom shoved mcallister through the crush across an adjoining room and finally into a tiny office a young man with a genial countenance was sitting at a desk by the single window he looked up as they crossed the threshold hello welsh how goes it let's see how long is it since you were here somehow this quiet gentlemanly fellow with his confident method of address telling you just who you were irritated mcallister to the explosive point i'm not welch he cried indignantly ha <laughs> ha laughed mr sheridan pray who are you you'll find out soon enough answered mcallister sullenly look here remarked the other don't imagine you can bluff us if you think you are not welch perhaps i can persuade you to change your mind he turned to an officer who stood in the doorway of a large vault bring two thousand two hundred and eight if you please the officer pulled out a drawer removed a long linen envelope and spread out its contents upon the desk there were fifteen or twenty newspaper clippings at least one of which was embellished with an evil-looking woodcut let's see continued mr sheridan you began with a year up the river took a pearl pin from a man named mcallister 
then you turned several tricks in chicago st louis buffalo and philadelphia and got away with it every time have we got you right McAllister ground his teeth you have not said he look at yourself continued the other there's your face you can't deny it i wonder the inspector didn't have you measured and photographed the first time you were settled still the picture's enough he handed the clubman a newspaper clipping containing a visage which undeniably resembled the features which the latter saw daily in his mirror McAllister wearily shook his head well said the expert of course you don't have to tell us anything unless you want to we've got you right that's enough he pushed the clippings back into the envelope handed it to the officer and turned away come on ordered tom once more McAllister and his mentor availed themselves of the only free transportation offered by the city government that of the patrol wagon and were soon deposited at the side entrance of the jefferson market police court a group of curious idlers watched their descent and disappearance into what must have at all times seemed to them a concrete and ever-present temporal avernus the why and wherefore of these erratic trips were of course unknown to McAllister. presumably he must be some rara avis of crime whose feet had been caught inadvertently in the limed twig set by the official fowler for more homely poultry fatty welch whoever he might be apparently enjoyed the respect incident to success in any line of human endeavour it seemed likewise that his presence was much desired in the sister city of philadelphia in which direction the clubman had a vague fear of being unwillingly transported he did not of course realize that he was held primarily as a violator of the law of his own state and hence must answer to the charge in the magistrate's court nearest the locus of his supposed offence inside the station-house tom held a few moments converse with one of its grizzled guardians and then led our hero along a passage and opened a door but here McAllister shrank back it was his first sight of that great cosmopolitan institution the police court before him lay the scene of which he had so often read in the newspapers the big room with its gothic windows was filled to overflowing with every variety of the human species who not only taxed the seating capacity of the benches to the utmost but near the doors were packed into a solid impenetrable mass upon a platform behind a desk a square-jawed man with chin-whiskers disposed rapidly of the file of dependents brought before him a long line of officers each with one or more prisoners stood upon the judge's left and as fast as the business of one was concluded the next pushed forward McAllister perceived that at best only a few moments could elapse before he was brought to face the charge against him and that he must make up his mind quickly what course of action to pursue as he stepped down from the doorway there was a perceptible flutter among the spectators several hungry-looking men with notebooks opened them and poised their pencils expectantly tom having handed over McAllister to the temporary care of a brother officer lost no time in locating his complainant that is to say the gentleman whose house our hero was charged with having burglariously entered the two then sought out the clerk who seemed to be holding a sort of little preliminary court of his own and who under the officer's instruction drew up some formal document to which the complainant signed his name McAllister was now brought before this official and briefly informed that anything he might say would be used against him at his trial he was then interrogated as before in regard to his name age residence and occupation but with the same result indeed no answers seemed to be expected under the circumstances and the clerk having written something upon the paper waved them aside nothing however of these proceedings had been lost to the reporters who escorted tom and McAllister to the end of the line of officers worrying the former for information as to his prisoner's origin and past performances but tom motioned them off with the papers which he held in his hand bidding them await the final action of the magistrate 
nobody seemed particularly unfriendly in fact an air of general good fellowship pervaded the entire routine going on around them what impressed the clubmen most was the persistence and omnipresence of the reporters i must get time thought McAllister. i must get time one after another the victims of the varied delights of too much christmas jubilation were disposed of fatty welch was the only real gun that had been taken he had the arena practically to himself now only one case intervened he braced himself and tried to steady his nerves next what's this McAllister was thrust down below the bridge facing the bench and tom began hastily to describe the circumstances of the arrest fatty welsh interrupted the magistrate oh yes i read about it in the morning papers chased off in a cab didn't he you shot the horse and his partner got away wanted in pennsylvania and illinois you say that's enough then looking down at McAllister, who stood before him in bespattered dress suit and fragmentary linen he inquired have you counsel McAllister made no answer if he proclaimed who he was and demanded an immediate hearing the harpies of the press would fill the papers with full accounts of his episode his incognito must be preserved at any cost whatever action he might decide to take this was not the time and place a better opportunity would undoubtedly present itself later in the day you are charged with the crime of burglary continued the judge and it is further alleged that you are a fugitive from justice in two other states what have you to say for yourself McAllister sought the judge's eye in vain i have nothing to say he replied faintly there was a renewed scratching of pens the judge conferred with the clerk for a moment any question of the prisoner's identity he asked oh no replied tom conclusively the fact is your honor we took him by accident as you may say we laid a plant for a feller doing second-story work on the avenue and when we nabbed him who should it be but welch you see they wired on his description from philadelphia a couple weeks ago but we couldn't find hide or hair of him in the city and had about give up lookin then quite unexpected we scoops him in here's his identity handing the judge a soiled telegraph blank it's him all right he added with a grin the magistrate glanced at the form and at McAllister. seems to fit he commented have you looked for the scar tom laughed sure i seen it when he was getting his measurements took down to headquarters turn around welch let's see your neck directed the magistrate the clubman turned round and displayed his collarless neck there it is exclaimed tom McAllister mechanically put his hand to his neck and turned faint he had had in his childhood an almost forgotten fall and the scar was still there he experienced a genuine thrill of horror well continued the magistrate the prisoner is entitled to counsel and besides i am sure that the complainant mr brown has no desire to be delayed here on christmas day i will set the hearing for ten o'clock to-morrow morning at the tombs police court i shall be sitting there for judge mason the rest of the week sitting to-morrow and will take the case along with me you might suggest to the warden that it would be more convenient to send the prisoner down to the tombs so that there need be no delay the complainant bowed and the officer at the bridge slapped McAllister not unkindly upon the back you'll need a pretty good lawyer he remarked with a wink next ordered the judge in the patrol wagon McAllister had ample time for reflection a motley collection of tramps disorderlies and petty lawbreakers filled the seats and crowded the aisle they all talked and joked swinging from side to side and clutching at one another for support with harsh outbursts of profanity as they rattled down the deserted streets toward new york's bastille staggering for a foothold between four women of the town McAllister was forced to breathe the fumes of alcohol the odor of musk and the aroma of foul linen he no longer felt innocent the sense of guilt was upon him he seemed part and parcel of this load of miserable humanity the wagon clattered over the cobblestones of elm street and whirling round backed up to the door of the tombs 
the low massive egyptian structure surrounded by a high stone wall seemed like a gigantic mortuary vault waiting to receive the civilly dead warden and keepers were ready for the prisoners who were now unceremoniously bundled out and hustled inside mcallister stood with the others in a small anteroom leading directly into the lowest tier he could hear the ceaseless shuffling of feet and the subdued murmur of voices rising and falling but continuous like the twittering of a multitude of birds while through the bars came the fetid prison smell with a new and disagreeable element the odor of prison food keeping your mouth shut remarked the deputy to mcallister as he entered the words prisoner refuses to answer and blotted them we're rather crowded just now he added apologetically i guess i'll send you to murderer's row hello there he called to someone above one for the first tier a keeper seized the clubman by the arm opened a door in the steel grating and pushed him through go along up he ordered mcallister started wearily up the stairs at the top of the flight he came to another door behind which stood another keeper in the background marched in ceaseless procession an irregular file of men in the gloom they looked like ghosts aimlessly they walked on one behind the other most of them with eyes downcast wordless taking that exercise of the body which the law prescribed mcallister entered the den of beasts all right jimmy yelled the keeper to the deputy warden below then turning to mcallister i'm going to put you in with davidson he's quiet and won't bother you if you let him alone better give him whichever berth he feels like them double-decker cocks is just as good on top as they is below mcallister followed the keeper down the narrow gangway that ran around the prison in the stone corridor below a great iron stove glowed red-hot and its fumes rose and mingled with the tainted air that floated out from every cell above him rose tier on tier illuminated only by the grey light which filtered through a grimy window at one end of the prison the arrangement of cells the bridges that joined the tiers and the murky atmosphere heightened the resemblance to the tween decks of an enormous slaver bearing them all away to some distant port of servitude get up there jake here's a bunkie for you mcallister bent his head and entered he was standing beside a two-story cot bed in a compartment about six by eight feet square a faint light came from a narrow horizontal slit in the rear wall a faucet with tin basin completed the contents of the room on the top bunk lay a man's soiled coat and waistcoat the feet of the owner being discernible below the keeper locked the door and departed while the occupant of the berth rolling lazily over peered up at the newcomer and then he sprang from the cot mr mcallister he whispered hoarsely it was wilkins the old wilkins in spite of a new light brown beard for a few moments neither spoke sorry to see you here sir said wilkins at length in his old respectful tones won't you sit down sir mcallister seated himself upon the bed automatically you here wilkins he managed to say wilkins laughed rather bitterly i've been in stir a good part of the time since i left you sir and two weeks ago i pleaded guilty to larceny and was sentenced to one year more but i'm glad to see you looking so well if you'll pardon me sir i'm sorry for you wilkins the master managed to reply i hope my severity in that matter of the pen did not bring you to this wilkins hesitated for a moment ain't your fault sir i was born crooked i fancy sir it's all right you've got troubles of your own only uh, you'll excuse me sir i never suspected anything when i was in your service mcallister did not grasp the meaning of this remark he only felt relief that wilkins apparently bore him no ill will very few of his friends would have followed up a theft of that sort they expected their men to steal their pens maybe i might help you what's the charge sir with his former valet as a sympathetic listener mcallister poured out his whole story omitting nothing and as he finished leaned forward searching eagerly the other's face now what shall i do what shall i do wilkins 
the latter coughed deprecatingly uh, you'll pardon me but that'll never go sir you'll have to get something better than that sir the jury will never believe it McAllister sprang to his feet in so doing knocking his head against the iron support of the upper cot how dare you wilkins what do you mean there there sir exclaimed the other don't take on so of course i didn't mean you wouldn't tell the truth sir but don't you see sir it isn't i as am going to listen to it shall i fetch you some water to wash your face sir he turned on the faucet the clubman yielding to the force of ancient habit allowed wilkins to let it run for him and having washed his face and combed his hair felt somewhat refreshed oh that feels good he remarked rubbing his hands together it was obvious that so long as he remained in prison he would be either fatty welsh or someone else equally depraved and since he could not make anyone understand it seemed his best plan to accept for the time with equanimity the personality that fate had thrust upon him well wilkins we're in a tight place but we'll do what we can to assist each other if i get out first i'll help you and vice versa now what's the first thing to be done you see i've never been here before that's the talk sir answered wilkins now first who's your lawyer haven't any yet all depends on the lawyer returned the valet judicially now there's carter and hurleyhe and kemp all sharp fellows but they're always after you for money and then they're so clever that the jury is apt to distrust them the best thing i find is to get the most respectable old solicitor you can kind of genteel family variety with the goodness just sticking out all over him it creates a atmosphere of innocence and that's what you need one as as white hair and can talk about this boy here and can lay his hand on your shoulder and weep that's the go sir i understand said McAllister. under the guidance of his valet our hero secured writing materials and indicted a pitiful appeal to his family lawyer a gong rang the squad of prisoners who had been exercising went back to their cells and the keeper came and unlocked the door McAllister stepped out and fell into line his tight clothes proved very uncomfortable as he strode round the tiers and the absence of a collar yes that was really the most unpleasant feature his neck was not much to boast of therefore he always wore his shirts low and his collars high now as he stumbled along he was the object of considerable attention from his fellows at the end of an hour another gong sounded in a moment the tears were empty fifty doors clanged too well wilkins ben as this is sunday sir we have a few hours service church of england first then city mission we're not allowed to talk but if you don't mind the owlin you can snatch a wink of sleep christmas dinner at twelve old burridge the trustee was a tellin me as how it's excellent sir McAllister looked at his watch in despair it was only a quarter past ten he had not been to church for fifteen years but evidently he was in for it now following his former valet's example he took off his shoes and stretched himself upon the cot on and on in never varying tones dragged the service the preacher held the key to the situation his congregation could not escape he had a full house and he was bent on making the most of it the hands of McAllister's watch crept slowly round to five minutes before eleven when at last the preacher stopped carefully folded his manuscript and pronounced the benediction a prolonged sigh of relief eddied through the tombs men were waking on all sides cots creaked there was a general and contagious yawn again the gong rang and with it the smell of food floated up along the tiers McAllister realized that he was hungry not mildly as he was at the club but ravenous as he had never been before presently the longed-for food came borne by a trustee in new white uniform wilkins who had been making a meagre toilette at the faucet took in the dinner through the door two tin plates piled high with turkey and chicken flanked by heaps of potato and carrots and one whole apple pie ah thought McAllister, i was not so far wrong about this part of it 
the chicken was perhaps not of the variety known as spring but neither master nor man noticed it as they feasted sitting side by side upon the cot carrots philosophized mcallister looking regretfully at his empty tin plate now i thought only horses ate carrots and really they're not bad at all i should like some more uh, wilkins can we get some more carrots wilkins shook his head mournfully message for thirty-four message for thirty-four a letter was thrust through the bars mcallister tore it open with feverish haste and recognized the crabbed hand of old mr potter east seventy-first street f welch esq sir the remarkable letter just delivered to me signed by a name which you request me not to use in my reply has received careful consideration i telephoned to mr mcblank's rooms and was informed by his valet that that gentleman had gone to the country to visit friends over christmas i have therefore directed the messenger to collect from yourself his fee for delivering this answer yours etc ebenezer potter that fool fraser groaned mcallister how the devil could he have thought i'd gone away then he remembered that he had directed the valet to pack his bags and send them to the station in anticipation of the winthrop's invitation he was at his wit's end how do you get bail wilkins have to find someone as owns real estate in the city sir to go on your bond how much is it five thousand dollars replied mcallister holy moses ejaculated the valet he regarded his former master with renewed interest but the dinner had wrought a change in that hitherto subdued individual with a valet and running water he was beginning to feel his oats a little he checked off mentally the names of his acquaintances there was not one left in town he repressed a yawn and looked at his watch one o'clock just then the gong rang again what in thunder is this now afternoon service sir city mission from one to two thirty ye gods ejaculated mcallister a band of young girls came and stood with their hymn-books along the opposite tier while a presbyterian clergyman took the place on the bridge recently vacated by his episcopal brother prayers alternated with hymns until the sermon which lasted sixty-five minutes mcallister almost desperate fretted and fumed until half-past two when the choir and missionary finally departed only half hour sir and we can get some more exercise said wilkins encouragingly but mcallister did not want exercise he swung to his feet and peering disconsolately through the bars was suddenly confronted by an anemic young woman holding an armful of flowers before he could efface himself she smiled sweetly at him my poor man she began confidently how sorry i am for you this beautiful christmas day please take some of these they will brighten up your cell wonderfully and they are so fragrant she pushed a dozen carnations and asters through the bars mcallister utterly dumbfounded took them what is your name continued the maiden welch blurted out our bewildered friend there was a stifled snort from the banca behind good-bye welsh i know you are not really bad won't you shake hands with me she thrust her hand through the bars and mcallister gave it a perfunctory shake good-bye she murmured and passed on lord exploded wilkins rolling from side to side upon his cot oh lord oh lord oh and he held his sides while mcallister stuck the carnations into the wash-basin the gong again and once more that endless tramp along the hot tears the prison grew darker gas-jets were lighted here and there and the air became more and more oppressive with five o'clock came supper then the long weary night next morning the valet seemed nervous and excited eating little breakfast and smiling from time to time vaguely to himself having fumbled in his pocket he at last pulled out a dirty pawn ticket which he held toward his master here sir he said with averted head it's for the pen i'm sorry i took it mcallister's eyes were a little blurred as he mechanically received the cardboard shake hands wilkins was all he said 
a keeper came walking along the tier rattling the doors and telling those who were wanted in court to get ready good-bye said McAllister. i'm sorry you felt obliged to plead guilty i might have helped you if i'd only known why didn't you stand your trial i had my reasons replied the valet i wanted to see my case disposed of as quick as possible you see i've been living in philadelphia and had just come to new york when i was arrested i ain't want them to find out who i was or where i come from so i just gives the name of davidson and takes my dose well said McAllister, you're taking your own dose i'm taking somebody else's that hardly seems a fair deal now does it wilkins but of course you don't know but that i am welsh oh yes i do sir replied the valet you won't never be punished for what he done how do you know exclaimed McAllister, visions of a speedy release crowding into his mind and if you knew why didn't you say so before why you might have got me out how do you know he repeated wilkins looked around cautiously the keeper was at the other end of the tier and then he came close to McAllister and whispered because i'm fatty welch myself six downstairs across the sunlit prison yard past the spot where the hangings had taken place in the old days up an enclosed staircase a half turn and the clubman was marched across the bridge of size most of the prisoners with him seemed in good spirits but McAllister, who was oppressed with the foreboding of imminent peril felt that he could no longer take any chances his fatal resemblance to fatty welch alias wilkins his former valet the circumstances of his arrest the scar on his neck would seem to make conviction certain unless he followed one of two alternatives either that of disclosing welch's identity or his own he dismissed the former instantly now that he knew something of the real sufferings of men his own life seemed contemptible what mattered the laughter of his friends or sarcastic paragraphs in the society columns of the papers what did the fellows at the club know of the game of life and death going on around them of the misery and vice to which they contributed of the hopelessness of those wretched souls who had been crushed down by fate into the gutters of life determined to declare himself he entered the courtroom and tramped with the others to the rail there to his amazement sat old mr potter beside the judge tom and his partner stood at one side welch step up here mr potter nodded very slightly and McAllister, taking the hint stepped forward is this your prisoner officer sure that's him right enough answered tom discharged said the magistrate mr potter shook hands with his honor who smiled good-humouredly and winked at McAllister. now welch try and behave yourself i'll let you off this time but if it happens again i won't answer for the consequences go home mr potter whispered something to the baffled officers who grinned sheepishly and then seizing McAllister's arm led our astonished friend out of the courtroom as they whirled uptown in the closed automobile which had been waiting for them around the corner mr potter explained that after sending the letter he had felt far from satisfied and had bethought himself of calling up mrs winthrop on the telephone her polite surprise at the lawyer's inquiries had fully convinced him of his error and after evading her questions with his usual caution he had taken immediate steps for his client's release steps which by reason of the lateness of the hour he could not communicate to the unhappy McAllister. what has become of the fugitive welsh he ended remains a mystery the police cannot imagine where he has hidden himself i wonder said McAllister dreamily it was just seven o'clock when McAllister, arrayed as usual in immaculate evening dress sauntered into the club most of the men were back from their christmas outing half a dozen of them were engaged in ordering dinner hello chubby shouted someone come and have a drink have a pleasant christmas you were at the winthrop's weren't you no answered McAllister. had to stay right in new york couldn't get away yes i'll take a dry martini uh, waiter make that two martinis i want you all to have dinner with me how would terrapin and canvas back do fill it out to suit yourselves while i just take a look at the post 
he picked up a paper glanced at the headlines threw it down with a sigh of relief and lighted a cigarette at the same moment two policemen in civilian dress were leaving McAllister's apartments each having received at the hands of the impassive frazier a bundle containing a silver-mounted revolver and a large bottle full of an unknown brown fluid McAllister's dinner was a great success the boys all said afterward that they had never seen chubby in such good form only one incident marred the serenity of the occasion and that was a mere trifle charlie bush had been staying over christmas with an ex-chairman of the prison reform association and being in a communicative mood insisted on talking about it only fancy he remarked as he took a gulp of champagne he says the prisons of the city are in an abominable condition that they're a disgrace to a civilized community tomlinson paused in lifting his glass he remembered his host's opinion expressed two nights before and desired to show his appreciation of an excellent meal that's all rot he interrupted a little thickly it's all politics the tombs is a lot better than most second-class hotels on the continent our prisons are all right i tell you his eyes swept the circle militantly look here tomlinson remarked McAllister sternly don't be so sure what do you know about it end of part eight